more books for you. And hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, in honor of my 1800th episode today, we have a very <laughs> thank you, Dr. Gregor. He has an amazing new book that debuted number two on the New York Times bestseller list. And if you buy it before Sunday, we can maybe get it to be number one. It's an amazing book. I think that's all he knows how to do is write bestsellers. He's here to talk about the book and even answer some of your questions. Please welcome Dr. Michael Gregor. Do you only write bestsellers? Uh, uh no. I think Carbophobia way back when. So everything since How Not to Die has been a bestseller. Um, but uh, including the cookbooks. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no. So yeah, now, now, you know, but yeah, early on, um, I was lucky if anybody was reading. Yeah, now, didn't you read a book about birds at one point? Bird Flu. Yeah. yeah bird Flu was not a bestseller. Well, maybe we can get some Figure of the old that. Maybe we can get some of the old books to be bestsellers. Well, congratulations. And I, you spend so much time researching these books. I mean, you spend as more than I think anybody else. And you spend a long time writing them. And I'm curious, what surprised you most in your research for this book? Oh, my God. Well, you know, everything. I mean, so people don't understand. I learn as much as anybody else when I write these books. Um, you know, in fact, there are entire fields of science that were not discovered by the time I had graduated from medical school, like microRNAs, whole chapter on that. I, I had no idea what they were. In fact, challenges the central dogma of biology that we were all taught. Um, uh, so, uh, so, I mean, the entire aging pathways that I was unfamiliar with, like the, 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 you know, the, the zombie cells senescence. And so it was tremendous. Uh, learning experience for me. And so that just makes me all the more tickled to be able to share all this amazing information. So it's years and years of, of expectation and suspense of, oh my God, I can't wait to tell people about this and this and this. And so finally the book comes out and it's like, ah, go for it. Yay. Um, but in terms of like uh, uh, some of the things that most surprised, so like almost everything surprised me. I had a few videos on aging longevity. But the vast majority of the book, we had 13,000 citations, vast majority, it was all new stuff um, to me. The biggest shockers, I think, was the exercise chapter, um, because, uh, the, the controversy of whether exercise has anything to do with longevity, that blew my mind. Same thing with sleep, that blew my mind. Red wine, resveratrol, NAD supplements, um, the vitamin D, flip. I have a video saying that taking vitamin C, D supplements is going to increase your lifespan. Oh, not anymore. And so talked about that. Um, uh, the fish stuff was interesting. Protein restriction. That's like the central theme. MicroRNAs, the list goes on and on. Um, and so, yeah, I think people, even people, I mean, the, the book is obviously targeted towards the people that need it the most, right? The general public who's dying from these easily preventable, treatable, reversible conditions. But this has so much stuff for the highest level nutrition geek out there, um, uh, just because there's just so much information that you would only get at it if you had an entire team of researchers. We have 14 people on staff, 100 active volunteers. Um, we just bought on two new uh, nutrition PhDs. Um, so, I mean... Who else has the luxury to be able to wade neck deep through the peer-reviewed medical literature like we do?
Nobody. You know, I'm, it's interesting that you mentioned exercise because I don't know if you're familiar with the 100-year-old plant-based doctor, Dr. John Scharfenberg. He was on my show on Friday. And when awesome. he was asked the secret to his longevity, living, he's not just 100, but he drives a little red sports car. I love it. Kids. I love it. No glasses, no hearing aids, no walker. He mentioned it. exercise is one of the, is the difference between him and everyone in his family who he outlived. Mm. And he said, especially exercise at midlife and beyond. A lot of people exercise when they're younger, but then mm. they yeah, well, look, exercise, I mean, the evidence supporting the overall health benefits of exercise, absolutely overwhelming. It's just a role in life extension that's surprisingly still a matter of debate. But, you know, exercise isn't just about uh, massing your muscles and strength and balance, mobility, preventing falls, uh, you know, uh, minimizing bone loss. Exercise has been proven in randomized controlled trials to improve cognition, enhance mood, treat depression, improve artery function, erectile dysfunction, uh, insulin sensitivity, overall quality of life. Um, and so, I, yeah, so, I mean, it's a, it's a big part of the book. I'm absolutely all in favor. I um, encourage people, but um, it's just that the lifespan thing was like shocking. Well, when you say exercise, I, I read the book, by the way, but not everybody has yet. And it's fabulous. And especially the audible version, which I highly recommend how much, how often in order for us to not age. Oh, um, so I end up, uh, so it's a combination. Um, uh, so I give all the, the kind of standard uh, guidelines, um, but with ten to kind of undersell it because they, most people aren't exercising at all. And so, or a large percentage aren't exercising at all. And so they're just like, want to emphasize that any exercise is better than nothing. So they don't want to intimidate people. But the evidence really does show benefit up to 90 minutes a day of moderate intensity exercise like brisk walking or up to 45 minutes of vigorous exercise like jogging. Um, I do talk about, you know, what may be too much, um, but uh, but in general, people aren't aren't doing enough. And and so any is better than none uh, and more is better um, uh, up to uh, up to uh, a large amount per day. So I encourage people to find ways. And then of course, I don't just talk about aerobic activity, right? Keeping your, your uh, heart healthy, but strength training to maintain lean muscle mass as we age, a balance training on um, these other aspects of uh, physical fitness as well. How much do you do? Cause I notice you're not on a treadmill right now. Ah, I actually am on my treadmill. I could press a button and I'd start going like this, but I only, I stopped because people were complaining of motion sickness I uh, I want to. The whole reason I did it is to like role model healthy behavior, and so it's like the last thing I want is to make anyone feel sick. And so when you know, so I so I have since. Um, although I actually was, uh, you know, this is my interview day um, this week, and earlier today, one of my interviews, they were walking on a treadmill, inspired by me. So I was like, oh goddamn, I'm getting on my treadmill. That's right. So, if they're on theirs, you can be on yours. So, for sure. then, so then we have these two different, and we're at different paces. Everyone is like going to make everybody nauseous. But I'm like, finally, I can actually get back. So yeah, no. So, but I'm still, you know, when I when I'm not uh, on camera, I'm still on my. Uh, walking treadmill desk, which I absolutely love, um, uh, on days where I'm at, you know, just doing reading, you know, I can do 14 miles a day easy. Um, it's very slow, two miles an hour. So I'm actually not getting my heart rate up, which is not good. So I've started doing some aerobic exercise and I've started, thanks to this book, to doing resistance exercise. I got some exercise bands I'm going to take on the road with me. 
um, uh, because uh, of the value of uh, of lean body mass. So, um, so uh, yeah, I'm excited to incorporate that into my uh, into my daily routine. I was going to ask you that if you did anything like stretching or resistance training or getting your heart rate up. So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You practice what you preach. Before well, we- I, I will. I uh, well, everything except sleep. Oh, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Maybe because you drink too much coffee. <laughs> I do. Well, I stopped drinking early enough that it should be metabolized by the time I go to sleep. But nice. you never know. Before we move on to some of the viewers' questions, we have a request from Sheba. Dr. Gregor, could you please say hello to Prachi, a nine-year-old girl? Last night, she picked How Not to Die from the Bookshelf for her bedtime reading instead of a children's book. Whoa. She, isn't that amazing? A nine-year-old reader. She read the first few pages of the preface and was amazed by the story of your grandmother. Hello, Prachi. I'm so glad. And um, uh, we want to keep your mom, your grandmoms healthy. Um, and uh, so uh, so hopefully you'll incorporate some of those um, uh, some of those healthy tips into your daily diet and lifestyle. So when do we start thinking about how not to age? Because I think that people when they're younger, they feel like the world, that, that nothing's going to happen to them. So we, the nine-year-old, she's smart for reading the book now, isn't oh she? Oh my God, absolutely, right? By age 10, nearly all kids raised on a standard American diet already have fatty streaks building up inside of their arteries. The first stage of heart disease, the number one killer of men and women. Um, so already by age 10, and then they turn into plaques in their 20s, get worse in their 30s, and then can start killing us off with strokes and heart attacks. Um, many common cancers, so-called epithelial cancers like colon cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, actually have a so-called latency period of decades, up to like 50 years. So the, the colon cancer you die of at age 60 may have been because of the hot dog you ate when you were 10 years old at the fair. Um, uh, that's what started that process. Um, and so... Uh, you know, it's never too early to start eating healthier, never too early to start moving, never too early to stop smoking or never start. And similarly, it's never too late. We really do have the power. Thank you. When you were researching How Not to Age, were there things that kept coming up that were also things that were featured in How Not to Die and How Not to Diet? Oh, yeah. Um, greens, dark green leafy vegetables. So, you know, I talk about that with artery function in How Not to Die. I talked about the thylakoids, the fat blocking thylakoids in dark green leafy vegetables. And you know what? It's interesting. That's actually a GLP-1 effect. That's the ozempic effect. You know, these new weight loss drugs work as a GLP-1 agonist. They boost the activity of this digestive hormone. Guess what else boosted that, boost this hormone without injecting yourself for thousands of dollars? Dark green leafy vegetables, these thylakoids boost um, GLP-1, and that's why you get the drop in appetite, the drop in cravings um, on down the list. Um, and so, uh, and then in How Not to Age, this amazing fact that the nitrates in dark green leafy vegetables slow down your metabolic rate, something you typically only see with severe caloric restriction, but instead of walking around starving all the time, you can just eat a big salad. Well, thank you so much for writing about thylakoids, <laughs> making people know about them, because I have been eating and recommending vegetables for breakfast for years for people with cravings and people criticize me. But then when you came out with it, it's like, see, told you it was true. Ah, Chef AJ was right all along. Thank you. Now, when researching this, what was different than the other books? Like what, you know, because How Not to Die and How Not to Age, it's a little bit similar because isn't the way not to age just not to die? Uh, well, that, that uh, they, they are certainly linked. 
Um, uh, the, uh, I mean, since no one really dies of old age, they die of disease. So there's a, a 32,000 consecutive autopsies. And in every single case, 100% of cases, centenarians, when actually, even though they appear perfectly healthy before they die, their physicians thought they were healthy, um, and they apparently died of old age on autopsy in every single one of cases, they die from disease, most commonly heart disease, just like everybody else. Um, and so, wait a second, if, if you know, death is from disease, and why wasn't How Not to Die all the anti-aging book anybody needs? Well, it's because aging itself is a risk factor for many of our killer diseases, like dementia, um, and uh, heart disease and cancer, such that even if all cancer was cured tomorrow, the average life expectancy in the United States would only go up three years. Why? Because if you don't die of one age-related disease, you'll just die of another. The only reason you die from cancer is because you were going to have a heart attack a year later, but you know, but you died. You just happened to die of the cancer earlier, and so. The, so instead of kind of playing whack-a-mole between the different diseases, if we could actually slow down the aging process, we may be able to lower the risk of all these age-related diseases kind of across the board. Um, and so that's really what I was excited about. And so I spend the whole book kind of coming up with this optimal anti-aging regimen kind of similar to what I did with the kind of optimal weight loss regimen for how not to diet. And then at the end, it's like, well, let's see if this actually pans out by looking at the literature. And along comes this study. Remember the, the study out of New Zealand, which showed the greatest weight loss ever recorded in the peer-reviewed medical literature at six and 12 months compared to any other intervention that didn't, you know, similarly restrict calories or enforce exercise. What was this magic diet? All food plant-based diet. Right. And so it was like the proof was in the pudding. Um, theoretically, it made sense. And then when you put it to the test in a randomized controlled trial, it worked. Same thing with how not to age. In fact, this new study was so new that it didn't even make it into the book. I spend the whole book talking about this anti aging regimen. Um, uh, be it, you know, so, whole food plant based diet is really the best way. Um, but there was not. Um, the study to really kind of nail it down. So it was like, well, look, this is the best evidence we have until August this last year, the book was already in print. We have this massive study showing that those who eat more plant-based, more centered their diets around more healthy plant foods actually age at a slower rate. And to prove cause and effect, randomized controlled trial, um, women randomized to either um, a plant-based diet or um, exercise or neither and though the exercise did not actually slow aging, exercise alone, the plant-based diet did. Um, and so it's so nice to see it actually um, actually pan out, um, but certainly was no surprise. Well, Dr. Berger, it's a fabulous book, mm. but there's one thing in it that upset a lot of people. I talked to you about it in, at the Plantrition Conference. Do you know what it is? Uh, oh, uh, the, the, the retinoids. Right. And so we have, th there's a few questions about it. One even okay. came from a plant-based doctor uh, saying that, uh, that they're not, they're a dermatologist. They're not worried about people using it just on their face and was wondering if the result of that 2009 study has ever been repeated. And they were actually able to prove that Trentinoyan was the cause. That wasn't just any dermatologist, but the one and only Dr. Krent. I saw her um, uh, talking about it on um, your, uh, on your excellent interview um, and so, um, absolutely be happy to address that. First of all, 
um, just to be clear, Dr. Krant is the expert, right? Not only a board-certified dermatologist, he's president-elect of the Manhattan Medical Society, a world-renowned expert in her field. In fact, when I was writing How Not to Age, as an extra layer of fact-checking, I sent all the chapters to the world's leading experts. And out of all the dermatologists on earth, who do you think I sent the preserving your skin chapter to? Dr. Crane, right? She got to read it before anybody else, right? So her not being worried about retinoids, uh, that retinoids are increasing her patient's risk of premature death should be taken seriously. But expert opinion is considered to be among the weakest forms of evidence. It's at the bottom of the so-called hierarchy of evidence that peaks at the top with randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials. And that's what this study was. Finding this 2009 study, finding significantly more deaths in the retinoid group compared to the placebo cream group, so much so that they had to stop the study early for safety reasons. The difference in deaths was so significant that one would have to do such an experiment a hundred times to create a death differential that extreme by chance alone. Now, could it still be a fluke? Absolutely. One in a hundred things happen all the time. One in a million things happen all the time, right? In fact, look, people win the lottery, for goodness sake, right? Um, uh, but, uh, but I, I did want to address that kind of 2009 thing that, you know, it's like, wait a second, that's old. I'm sure there's been lots of studies since that. Um, well, so it's important to kind of clarify the framing of this as like the only study to show such a thing that is true, technically true. There've been 14 studies looking at the use of tretinoin in mortality and the one that I cited was the only one showing a problem. So was I just cherry picking like the bad one and ignoring the rest? No. Look, Dr. Krant, full-time clinical practice, right? Doesn't have the luxury that I do of staying up days and nights digging through the literature. And I was able to look at all those other studies and the no increase in death was because in every single study, there were no deaths at all in either group, retinoids or placebo, because they were so short-term as to be meaningless to answer the question, lasting as little as one week, right? So it's like if the tobacco industry randomized people to smoke two packs a day or not, and a week later proclaimed smoking is harmless since there wasn't a single more death in the smoking group. Yeah, because there wasn't a single death in either group, right? It just was too short to tell. Right? So to date, there has only been one long-term randomized control trial of tretinoin and mortality. And so it's the only one we have. And it showed significantly higher risk of death. Now, even if that's true, even if it's not some one in a hundred statistical fluke, that still doesn't mean people shouldn't use it. It's your body, your choice. You want to go bungee jumping? You want to not wear your seatbelt? You do you, right? I am not in the business of telling people what to do. I'm in the business of informing people about the predictable consequences of their actions. 
And though, I mean, look, for me, the potential for an increased risk of death outweighs a beneficial facial appearance. So I personally wouldn't use it, right? But I'm not under the harsh patriarchal pressures that demand women remain eternally young looking, right? And so I think it's completely reasonable, rational for some people to be like, okay, it might or might not, you know, increase the risk of premature death, but it makes my face look so good, so much better that I'm willing to do it. Fine. <laughs> totally fine. As long as there's informed consent, your body, your choice. Oh, well, I think people wish you hadn't uncovered that study, Dr. Greger, because they take what you say seriously, but at the same time, they love the glow. So uh, one of the viewers is saying, is Bakuchiol the vegan alternative to retinol? And is that healthy for us to use on our skin? I've never heard of Bakuchiol. It sounds like an anime character. <laughs> You're funny. So you had mentioned, we were talking about what surprised you. And you, one of the things you said was resveratrol. I can never pronounce that, but it doesn't have to be from wine, does it? Oh, well, I mean, the, the, uh, the surprise was that resveratrol, when actually put to the test in the, in these, you know, placebo controlled trials, tripled the loss of brain tissue. So if you don't like your brain, you think my brain is too big. I want a smaller brain than resveratrol is the supplement for you. That's another study. People hate it, right? Because they've been paying all this money to buy this expensive supplement when it may, they may actually be paying to uh, shrink their brain. Um, and so- but if you're uh, eating grapes, though, it's okay to get it from grapes, right? Oh, well, right, because the dose is nowhere near what you get in supplemental form. So eat grapes, um, particularly seeded grapes would be the healthiest grapes. Don't drink red wine. If you're going to have red wine, it should be de-alcoholized red wine, non-alcoholic wine, because alcohol is a known human carcinogen. It's processed into acetaldehyde, which causes cancer in human beings. And cancer is our second leading cause of death. Right. So what I was trying to say is that people say that the reason they drink alcohol is for the resveratrol. Then in, I, if I understand you, that's not a great way to get it. Uh, that it's, it's, it's a terrible way, right? We don't want to have nutrients with our, um, uh, with our with poison. carcinogens, right? Uh, and it really shouldn't be considered necessarily a nutrient at all, particularly at supplemental doses. How do you answer the people that are talking about the blue zones? They drink alcohol. That's one of their secrets, isn't it? That's Not all of them. No, no, no. So what you want to know is the Venn diagram of what all the blue zones do to get, you know, at the same time, right? So, I mean, you know, how do we know if it's not just kind of a fluke? We want to know what, what do they all share in common? Um, and so thanks to Dan Butner's organization, um, uh, they set up, a, they did over 150 dietary surveys within the blue zones. Um, and they came up with a list of 10 food guidelines. You can, if you Google blue zones, food guidelines, here's what they said. This is what they all shared in common, right? 95 to hundred percent plant-based. That's number one. Number two, reduce your intake of processed foods. Number three, Beans every day, the healthiest source of protein. Number four, water is the best beverage. Number five, nuts are the healthiest snack. Number six, go easy on fish, then eliminate eggs, slash sugar, reduce dairy, and retreat from meat. 
In other words, a whole food plant-based diet. Fantastic. So talk about coffee, because that surprised me because I have a lot of different doctors on the show, for example, that take care of people with bladder issues or arrhythmias, and they're not real keen on coffee. Yeah, coffee was a uh, was a real surprise um, to me. So, you know, and how not to die. I talked about um, in the chapters on uh, liver disease, depression, and Parkinson's, talk about the benefits of coffee for the liver, mind, and brain. Uh, coffee drinkers um, uh, tend to have lower cancer rates um, and uh, live longer um, than non-coffee drinkers. But not for everyone, coffee can worsen acid reflux disease. So if you have GERD, um, it could be a problem. It can worsen bone loss, glaucoma. Um, but, you know, otherwise, you know, I presented coffee as good for you, um, though every cup of coffee, coffee is a lost opportunity to drink something even healthier, which is green tea. So along comes how not to age. And it turns out that the primary antioxidant in coffee, cochlorogenic acid, is an autophagy activator. So autophagy is this anti-aging pathway. It's this kind of house cleaning process within the body to clear our cells of debris that builds up over time, contributes to the aging process. How can we boost it? One way is through coffee consumption. Um, and uh, so... Um, uh, uh, so, so that's, uh, may explain why coffee drinkers have lower risk of death from all causes put together. That's decaf. That's regular. Um, the healthiest, um, would be paper filtered because it eliminates the cholesterol raising compounds, um, in, uh, in coffee. And so people, so people, the, the longest living, um, drink filtered coffee and then it's the unfiltered coffee. And then people who don't drink any coffee at all. So uh, three cups of coffee um, associated with 13% lower risk of all-cause mortality. But green tea, again, kicks its butt doubling. So uh, drinking green tea, 26% lower um, risk of uh, premature death. Um, and so, uh, so you can totally make the argument that um, green tea is... Um, would be superior drink, but since they both work by different mechanisms, so green tea actually activates the antioxidant systems within your body, ironically, because it's a pro-oxidant. It's totally crazy. And same thing with broccoli. Oh my God. Like the two, like the healthiest things, they actually work by poking the body. The body doesn't like broccoli and so ramps up its detox enzymes um, and and green tea has this little pro-oxidant effect. It ramps up your antioxidant enzymes. So you end up with higher antioxidant capacity, but not because of the antioxidants in green tea. It's because the opposite, ironically. It's this hormesis uh, concept. That which doesn't kill us make us stronger kind of thing. Anyway, um, so, so uh, the green tea works through this hormetic mechanism, whereas the coffee works through this autophagy mechanism. So they might be complementary. So you might actually get benefit from both. So what I, uh, the, what, what I do with this information is I drink coffee in the morning. Then I switch to black tea, which actually has different compounds than green tea due to the processing. Then I switch to green tea. Then I switch to herbal tea for the rest of the day after 2 p.m. And is the decaffeinated green tea okay as well? Oh, totally fine. Okay. You mentioned vitamin D and Nancy said, Dr. Gerger, I'm a huge fan. I'm halfway through your book, How Not to Age, Whole Food Plant-Based SOS Free for a Few Years. I found out my vitamin D is 17. Should I supplement with more than the 2000 international units you recommend in the book? How long should it take to get in the normal range? So are they already doing two? Do we know if they're already supplementing or they haven't started yet or... And it matters whether it's, you know, what units they're using, whether uh, nanograms or nanomoles. But um, the, uh, uh, so if they, 
if they have been supplementing with 2000 um, and still end up low, I would get retested. Um, the I actually have a video about it. The vitamin D tests are not very good, but basically they took one vial of blood and sent it to like a thousand labs across the world and had dramatically different. Like some said, oh my God, you got too much vitamin D. So the same blood, so you had too little vitamin D. And so it's like, hey, all right. So, so, yeah, so before doing anything, because you can overdose on vitamin D, you can actually get too much vitamin D. Uh, I would want to make sure that you were actually low. If you have not been supplementing, that would make sense. Um, uh, if you're not getting sufficient sun exposure, that you'd be low. And so, you know, you could start the 2000 in national units, then get retested in a few months. And just to make sure you want to get the, those levels up. Okay. Um, and important for, and so I didn't just to, just to clarify what I said earlier, um, the, uh, vitamin D. So there's these randomized controlled double blind studies where they give vitamin D or they give placebo and you put all the studies together and there's no benefit in terms of longevity for those randomized to vitamin D over basically a sugar pill. But you do see a decrease in cancer deaths. And the only reason you don't see this translate into living longer overall is because what's by far the number one killer? Heart disease. And there's no cardiovascular benefit to giving people vitamin D. However, what if you were eating whole food plant-based? What if you were eating healthy? right? Healthy enough that your cholesterol was low enough that you wouldn't develop heart disease, right? Okay, so then your number one killer, heart disease kind of off the list. What What's the next? Cancer. So it's possible for people at low risk for heart disease, vitamin D supplementation would actually increase um, longevity uh, because of the cancer benefit, but something that has not been tested. Unfortunately, I got to run. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Gregor. I really appreciate it. You can absolutely keep up the wonderful work and congratulations on all your amazing success. Congratulations on another NYT bestseller. Bye-bye. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. That was short and sweet. And sorry, we couldn't get to a lot of your questions. So if you submitted questions for Dr. Gregor, but would like another doctor to answer them, always let us know when you submit them. Best way to submit is just to sign up for my newsletter at chefaj.com. Once a week on Saturday or Sunday, we send you the whole lineup so you can easily respond to that email. And now we write you back when it's answered because sometimes with doctors like Dr. Grant, Dr. Lyle, can take 10 months to get a question answered. So please come back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time. We have our sexual health expert, urogynecologist, Dr. Rachel Rubenbach. She's going to be talking about the symptoms of menopause and also discussing the upcoming bipartisan menopause research bill. Thanks so much, everyone. Well, take care. I was going to promote my own book, but I do that enough. This, we got a bundle right now of my books. If you're interested, it's below. All right. Thanks so much for watching. Really appreciate it. Bye everybody.